Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Cape Cod Church, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, enjoy this message in our current series, The Story Project. In a moment, we are going to continue worshiping with one another, and then Pastor Ben is going to come with the first message in our new series, The Story Project. This week, we kick off this series on the idea of story. Story is embedded in the human experience. It's how we understand ourselves when our parents tell us, on the day that you were born. It's how we express our own identities, how we express it to others. When you, when your mother and I met, when your father and I met, way back when. And so the story goes. It's even how we contextualize our social movements and our favorite brands and our environments. I mean, most of us know when Apple was born. And we know the story of how the dunes of Cape Cod came into being. Story is powerful. It's how we understand the world around us. And we are constantly taking in new data, reorganizing it, contextualizing it, and incorporating it into this one large story, the reality that we live together. A story also serves as a lens through which we see the world, a filter. Even as our story grows and evolves and we continue to incorporate new events into it, we are also evaluating new events in the context of our story so far. It's the lens through which we understand new things that come into our lives or the things that we see in the world. It's both a lens through which we see the world and a way to understand it. Story is incredibly powerful. It's an innate part of the human experience. The church has been sharing a story for the last 2,000 years a story of good news to all who hear it, a story that has gripped the world in ways that possibly no one could have expected. It is a story that is all-encompassing, not only including the life of Jesus Christ, but stretching back to the beginning and stretching forward to eternity, an all-encompassing story that explains the world that we live in a God that we seek to know, and how the two relate. This is the story that the church has been proclaiming. And if this story is true, and we believe that it is, then it is the only lens through which we can fully understand the world that we live in, through which we can fully understand ourselves. And we are fortunate that it is not only true, but also good. When we look at this Christian story, we are blessed to find that it is not only a true story, the truth that we were seeking, it is also a really good story. A story that meets and answers the most basic human needs. The story, in fact, that we hoped for. This, It's the tradition that Cape Cod Church follows in, to share that good story that answers our innermost desires, that helps us understand the world around us. And it's not only good news in some far-off future. 
When we look at the Christian story, we find that it is also a really good story for the here and now. That even though we're not in the happily ever after, we find that we're in those final pages, those final chapters, where already the story is moving to its resolution, where the main events have started to unfold, and all of those tensions, we see how they're going to be resolved. When we look at the Christian story, we find that we are already at the place where it is, ah, here it comes. The good ending is on its way. That is what we're going to be exploring in the next few weeks in this series, The Story Project. We're going to be exploring that story together. The story that's been told again and again throughout history for every culture, every generation, every nation. We're going to explore it together for our generation, our time, our piece in history. And we're going to explore the beauty of that story that is not only true, but also really good news. And we know that some of you here don't believe that that story is true. And we're so glad that you're here. In fact, we are honored that you would be here, that you would give this a shot. And we hope that you'll come along on the journey. Because our goal in this series is actually not to convince you that the story is true. We're not going to lay out evidence or arguments, counter-arguments for why it might be true over against other stories of our world. We're just going to try and tell the story as best we can. For now, we're going to assume that it's true, and we're going to tell that story as best we can. And whether or not you believe it's true, we invite you to explore it with us. If that's you, you might experience this story differently in these next few weeks while you're wrestling with it. To you, it might start out as just a little insight into Christian anthropology. It might be at first entertaining, perhaps at moments thought-provoking. But if it's not true, it can't make any personal demands on you, and we're just inviting you to hear the story for as long as you like, to just walk with us in this journey of exploration and storytelling. Our only hope is that you would get to the end of all of this and that you would ask yourself, was this story good? Do I hope that it's true? And if that happens, then you'll have to go on your own journey to discover whether or not it's true. Then you'll have to ask yourself whether you are in fact a part of this same story. We're all going to do that together in the next eight weeks. And we're so glad that you've decided to be a part of it this morning. Story is woven into the fabric of our existence. It's how we understand one another, how we interpret events, how we define ourselves. Story is how we make sense of the world, and our world is full of billions of individual stories from countless perspectives. But what if, above all that, there was one large story, one story that interwove and expanded on all stories, one beautiful story that made sense of the world, and what if that story was not only beautiful, but true? 
And what if it was not only one perspective, but reality? Well, good morning. Y'all are singing pretty good this morning. I got to tell you, that was sweet. So, the story project. We've been noodling around on this for the better part of two years. It might sound like a long time to talk about a story that, admittedly, I'm pretty familiar with, and many of you are too, but that's what we've been doing. And I think over the next seven or eight weeks, you'll see why. Because it's really, as Brittany introduced, about the story. And we should add, it's a true story. We know the word story comes loaded with baggage, so to speak but it's powerful. There is a story, the story, and it's true, and it's good. Those things aren't always said of every story, that it's true and it's good, but in this case, this story is both true and good. (laughs) Very, very, very good. You'll see that. In fact, we have terms for that. The, the, the word uh, in the New Testament, it was originally called, this whole culmination that ended up with Jesus was called good news. We have a word for that. It's translated, and we use it today as gospel, right? Gospel. But gospel, literally, good news. This is just like good news. In fact, you may have used the term that says gospel truth. That's another way of saying this is a good story and it's true. And you may be here and you know the story. And you believe the story. And you know the story is good. But you may be here. And this is important for us to pause. You may be here, and you may not yet believe the story. We just want to, one, thank you for coming and listening in and wrestling with something you're not exactly sure about, because we're going to do our best to tell the story and to tell why it is both true and good. There's going to be a lot of why it's good. But here's where I want to start. There's a difference between knowing the story, knowing what happened, and you may be a master of the story. You may know exactly the order of events. You may be able to tell the story, quote the verses about the story. But there is a difference between knowing the story and even knowing what the story demands of you, what it asks of you what the story means for you, what it, what, it, what it wants you to do, those are both good. They're different than knowing why. Like, why did this story happen? Why did God do what he did? 
Not just what happened and not just what he wants me to do. Those are good, but they're not quite sufficient to help us really experience what he wants. There's what happened, what he wants me to do, and then there's why. Like, why did God do this? Why did it happen this way? Why Jesus? What's the point in all of this? You see, it turns out why changes everything. When you know the why, you know how to read the story, and you know why he wants you to do what he wants you to do. But it all begins with why. Why? You see, if I told you another story, um, here's one you're familiar with, Cinderella. We know Cinderella. You may know the old original version, but you probably know the Disney version with mice that sew and all that good stuff, right? Remember Cinderella? And if we were to say, hey, what's, you know, tell me the story of, of Cinderella. Tell me what happened. We'd be like, well, there's, there's Cinderella, and she's got ugly stepsisters, because that's a part of the story. But they have beautiful clothes. She doesn't have beautiful clothes. She's got like this frumpy outfit, and she cleans the house, and, and that's, that's her thing. But the sisters, the sisters, they, they may be ugly, but man, they got the... They got, the, they got the fashion wardrobe and they get to go to the parties. They get to go to the big parties because then people invite them to the big parties and they go to the parties and then one day, Cinderella gets a beautiful dress. And she gets to go to the party. At the end of that story, she gets the guy and, and we would say, well, what happened? Well, this is like, you know, this is... There was no dress. No, there was a dress. They got dresses. They got, I mean, she got the guy. I mean, this is a story about fashion. Well, what should you do? Well, I learned one thing from this story. You should always have the right pair of shoes. That's what you should do. Now, some of you are thinking, I like that story. I like that story. But most of us know, ah, there's more to the story than, you know, dresses and shoes. and So if I told you at the beginning, I'm going to tell you a story. And it's about goodness or kindness. I want you to watch for it. I want you to look for kindness and I want you to look for unkindness. I want you to look for um, patience. I want you to look for what happens when we wait. You'll begin reading the story through a whole new lens, which brings us back to the story, the good story, the true story. Why? <laughs> well, it, it turns out it's not, it's not a mystery. It's, it's, it's right there. It's right there, but we're so so captured with what happened that we often miss why it happened. And we're really, really captured with what we're supposed to do. And in that, we sometimes miss giving the why of the story its place. Let me give you a for instance or an example, a verse. Maybe you're familiar with it. John chapter 3, verse 16. Anybody else in the room, John 3, 16 was the first verse you memorized 
Come on, I got a few of you. Anybody else? I just want to raise them up high in the King James English. In the King, how many of you memorized it? You know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. Where else do you use the word begotten, folks? That and on the day you get married or something, right? That He gave His only Son, that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is a great verse. If you're going to memorize verses, there are worse places you could begin than John chapter 3 and verse 16. Let me, let me read it to you in a slightly updated version from the NIV this time. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. If you're reading the story, that's what happened. That's what he did. It's not why, it's just what? That whoever believes in him, ah, that's what he wants us to do. Did, did you see it there? It's the story of what happened and then what he wants you to do, but we haven't actually gotten to the why. But we do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Ah, there it is. God's great why, his goal, his gift, life. This is what God wants to do. He wants to give you life. Now, you may read that like I read it as a child, and I'm going to be honest and confess like I read it most of my adult life. Well, that's talking about life after death. That's what he wants to give you, like eternal life. I mean, it doesn't exactly say that, but that's how I interpret it often. It's like, like this is a, a, a gift of life. It's like life insurance. That's what it is. It's life insurance. So, you know, when you die, something good will happen. You'll go to the good place and not the bad place. And that's what God wants to you. And we basically take this whole great why of what God wants to do is that like God's going to, like your life is going to be really, really horrible here on earth. And then you die and good things happen which seems to miss what Jesus was saying. Like, this idea of, of life didn't seem like something distant to him. When Jesus talked about it, Jesus was like, listen, I am, I am here, and what I have come to do is to bring my kingdom and to give you life. In fact, he said it clearly a few chapters later in John chapter 10, verse 10, and that's probably a good place for us to go. This verse has informed the story of Cape Cod Church now for going on 30 years. Here's what John 10, 10 says. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Have you ever found that? Have you ever just found in life, it just, it feels like you're running the gauntlet of destruction and dysfunction. Just waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, the thief, the 
power of this world, the destruction of Satan. Listen, that's what, he, that's what it's all about. But I have come. And here's his why. That they, that's you, you, and you, 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 and me, might have life and have it to the full. <laughs> that doesn't sound like something when you die. That sounds like, right, like, like here, like, like, like now, like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here. <laughs> and this is, this is a go. I have come to give you life and life to the full. That's my gift. That's my plan. That's my why. That's why the story is happening. That's why I want you to do what you do. You'll understand what happened, and you'll understand what I want you to do when you understand the, the why. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, said it this way. He used the term, he said, with God's help, I am becoming myself. I think I know what he means. Uh, C.S. Lewis would call it becoming fully human. Like, this is what God meant you for. This is what he designed you for. This is his, his gift, his plan. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, loves the term human flourishing. We've just coined it here, living fully. But sitting behind all of that is a, a story, a theology that says this is what God is, wants to do. This is why he came. He came to give you life and life to the full. That was his plan from the very beginning. You see, if if the point of the story is simply what happened, then the highest form of Christianity is memorizing verses, telling the story, creating a systematic theology, having big words in your arsenal like sanctification and justification and atonement and, here's a good one, propitiation. Don't say that too fast. You'll get in trouble, right? That's the highest form because that's what happened. Or if the highest form is what he wants you to do, ah, then what we have to do, we have to make lists. Lists of what he wants us to do. Lists of what to do and lists of what not to do. This list here, and this list here, and this list here. And we have to measure ourselves against that list. And when we're done measuring ourselves against the list, the real fun begins because we get to measure others against our list. That's fun. And then when we're done measuring ourselves and measuring others, we, we have to face ourselves, and we face failure and regret and disappointment because we never live up to those lists. But sitting behind all of that is the point, the story, the why that... All of this, what happened and what he wants you to do is because God came to give you the gift of life and life to the full. And here's what happens. When you start looking at the story, when you start like, 
like, like picking up the pages of this story and you start looking for that, you'll see it everywhere. It's everywhere. In fact, if you turn back to John chapter 1, so John is one of the four biographers. If you're new to the Bible, there are four biographers who write biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We collectively call them the Gospels, but John's is different. He covers territory nobody else covers, and he starts his story different, where the others want to begin by telling you about the manger and the nativity and the birth. John says, let me go all the way back to the beginning, and he goes to Genesis. Watch what he says in John chapter 1, verse 1, about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word. You'll notice that's capitalized. I hope it's capitalized. Yeah, it's capitalized there. We got it right. It's capitalized because, because later on in this same chapter, he, he says, he explains exactly what he means by the Word. He says, and the Word illustration, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. But here, he just wants you to know something else. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through him, all things were made, and without him was nothing made that has been made. You see, he's going all the way back, but watch what he says next. Verse 4, in him, Jesus, creator, was life. See it? And that life was the light of all mankind. Huh. It's everywhere. You, you, you'll see it. He's, he's saying right here, this, this thing that he's doing came from in him. This is who he is, and this is what he wants to do in the world. He longs to create and give his creation life, and as Jesus said, life to the full. He finishes by saying in verse 5, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When you, when you begin looking at the story, it's literally everywhere in the story. You see, we've become masters of this story, but if you really want to master the story, you have to step back from the story and see the why. Many of you have heard that you can take the, the, the story of the Bible and break it into four chapters. It's a, it's, a, it's a marvelous way to understand the four movements of this rather big book. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Maybe you've heard that. Creation, God creates everything. Fall, we mess everything up. Redemption, Jesus shows up restoration. He's putting everything back to right. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But when you go back and look at that story through the lens of God's gift of life and life before you see it everywhere, you go back to Genesis chapter one, right? In the very beginning, remember the story, like he's, he's telling this narrative about how in the beginning, God created. And, he, and he, he speaks this world. And then you see in the narrative of chapter one, he's like, he says, and, he, and he's creating the waters and the skies and the star and the suns. And remember what he does? He steps back from it every once in a while after day two. And he goes, oh, it was good. Remember that? And then, and then another chapter or so, uh, another, uh, another day, he steps back from the creation and it says, ah, he saw that it was good and he's, he's filling the earth and he's filling it with his story. And then, and then he creates you and me. That's the sixth day. And it says at this point, he looks at everything he's created and he says, it's very good. 
This is who he is. He gave his creation, his image, his life. This is what he made us for. This is what he is doing. But of course, the story doesn't end there, does it? You get to chapter 2 and we get to the second movement of the story, the fall. You probably remember pieces of that story as like an apple. There's not an apple actually, but there's fruit. But maybe go back and remember, God created that garden, that place, and he tells this story with two, two trees. Remember there were two? I mean, there were a lot more, but there were two he pointed out. One was the tree of life. There it is. What does he say about that tree? Eat of it. Eat of it. You, you see, that tree represented God and his goodness. It represented that in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. John chapter 1. You see how the whole story is coming together? He's weaving it together. That tree is for you. I'm for you. I'm the source of life. But there's another tree, and it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil simply represented man taking authority for him and herself deciding what was right and wrong. And then we see the story. We see that they, they choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They choose to embrace authority for themselves. God, we're going to chart our own course. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to decide what is right and what is wrong. And in that moment, in that instance, in that place, death begins to creep in. Death, destruction, dysfunction, suffering, struggle. It doesn't take but a few chapters for us to encounter the first murder in the Bible. But this is the beautiful part. God's not done. No sooner does does death start to creep in and destruction becomes a part of creation and there's this fight between life and death. That's what's happening in Genesis 2 and Genesis. There's this fight. And what does God do? God steps into the story and in the simplest of acts for this creation that he's given life to, who's rejected him, he clothes them. He just, he clothes them. He gives them, he knits them, weaves them, sews them. I don't know how he did it, but he gives them clothes. It was the first hint that God was saying, I'm not done, I'm not done, I'm not done. I'm going to bring life to my creation. And he tells Adam, he just, he forecasts, listen, one day, someday, watch how it's going to unfold. I am going to bring life. I am going to fix all of this because I long to give my people life and life to the full. I'm not done. And when we see the story of Cain and Abel and that first murder shows up on the pages of the story in such stark contrast to what God has given them, and Cain realizes the consequences of what he's done, and he's desperately afraid that now he'll be killed, God, in a supreme act of mercy, puts a mark on him. 
that will spare his life. God wasn't done. He was, he was preserving, giving life. And then Abraham. It's just a few chapters and Abraham shows up and God takes Abraham. He says, Abraham, I got a plan. I am going to bring life to this world through you. Oh, what are you talking about? Look, look, look up at the sky. Look at the stars. This is what I am going to. I'm going to make out of you a people, a nation so good and out of that nation so big, so profound. I am going to bring a savior out of that people. And he does. And then Moses. Remember Moses? The people are in bondage and Israel has grown and flourished in unexplainable ways while they were slaves. And then God appears to Moses in a burning bush. That'll mess with you, by the way. When a bush starts talking to you and God speaks from the bush and says to Moses, what does he say? Moses, 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 I have heard the cries of my people. <laughs> I've heard they're struggling and they're suffering and I am going to deliver them. And Moses lists out a long line of excuses why that won't work and why he can't help. And God says, oh man, just wait, just wait, just wait. Watch what I'm going to do. And he brings to his people the gift of life. Israel would become a large, proud, strong nation full of kingdoms and walled cities, and they would struggle back and forth between following God and following their own way, between choosing his life and choosing to choose what is right and wrong for themselves. And God would send prophets. Remember the prophets? And he would tell the prophets, Go talk to my people. Go get them. Go get my people. They're, they're, they're going down the wrong place. They're going down the path of, of destruction and death. I'm not, I'm not done with them. I'm not giving up with them. And the prophets say, God, they won't listen to us. I know, so just get their attention. Go and preach to them. Like, I don't know. How am I going to get their attention? I don't know. It's like sleep in the street for a year and a half. That's a good way to start. People pay attention to you if you sleep in the middle of their street. For your head. Well, I don't think it's going to work. Then walk around naked. That's what one of them did. Or cook in the middle of the street with dung. Like if you cook in the middle of the street with dung, people will stand up and pay attention. And then they'll listen to your message. I just want them to hear what I'm saying. I want to give them my life. I want to give them a life of flourishing and I'm not done and I won't give up. That's the story of the Old Testament. And then Jesus, born in a manger. And Jesus begins to talk and tell people. And one day he says, I have come here to you so that you could have life and life to the full. That's why I'm here. That's my big plan. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's why I want you to do 
what I want you to do. It's why I want you to believe in me because I have come to give you life. And then he died, which we didn't expect. That's not how the story is supposed to go. But through his death, then his resurrection, he would be able to say, I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the one who can do for you what I said I could do for you. Follow me. That's his whole story. In fact, we started in Revelation chapter 1, or Genesis chapter 1. We should finish in Revelation chapter 22. Because you know what it says? If you're looking for this story, this theme, this why, in the last chapter of the last book, there's this picture of what God is creating for us. And it says, in that great city, there's a river that runs through it. And it says, on either side of that river, in Revelation 22, On either side, there's a tree of life. You see what he's doing? Weaving it all through, culminating in the story of Jesus. This is what I've come to do from creation through fall, through redemption, and now restoration. And when you step back and you look at the story and you look at what he is doing, when you see it, You can't unsee it. When you see it, you won't settle for anything less. Like when you you see like, this is what he wants for for me. This is his his big idea, his plan, his heart for me. To have life and life to the full. And here's what we're going to do for the next six or seven weeks. We're going to tell that story through six or seven different lenses. We're going to tell the story, uh, the story of authenticity and arrogance of a purpose that no one can take away from you. We're going to talk about hurt and hate and peace that overcomes those. And we're going to talk about rest in the midst of a hurry-up world. Because in all of those things, we found woven into them this story of what God wants to give you as a gift. A gift of life. You see, for the last 20, 30 minutes, I've just tried to tell you the story pointing out all the places where God is giving life. And for the next six or seven weeks, you're going to hear stories from other people, their testimonies. And you're going to see it woven into Scripture in all of these different places, how it is that he wants to give you life, a full life. Because I believe that once you see it, it will change you. There's just something about, there's something about seeing it. I'm not talking about the eloquence of a pastor or the movement of music. I'm just talking about like, like when you come face to face with the real thing and you see it, like it, tra- it changes something inside of us. See, once you see it, you can't settle for anything else. If you were here last week, you know that Tammy and I just finished a uh, an epic vacation where we spent two weeks 
road tripping through the American Southwest. And it was, it was epic. I mean, we just, we, we spent two days in the Red Rocks of Sedona. I took an ATV. I couldn't believe they let me drive this thing, like driving it up rocks in the middle of nowhere. And we just got to the top of this mountain. And we're just like, I just stood there taking pictures. We left there. We went to the Grand Canyon, hundreds of miles of canyon. I've never seen it before. I was like, Pictures didn't even seem, I mean, it was like, We left there and we drove up to Monument Valley, John Wayne's favorite place. It looks like every Western you've ever seen. We sat on our porch at sunrise and we watched the sun come up over Monument Valley. We were like, Cameras don't make that sound anymore, right? <laughs> it's my iPhone. It's amazing. They're like, look at that, look at that, look at that. We left there. We went to Antelope Canyon with its impossible ribbons of color. We were walking through the canyon. We saw a rattlesnake. It's this little, it's a baby rattlesnake, but it was a rattlesnake. Even that was beautiful. I mean, sort of. I mean, not beautiful in a pick it up and handle it kind of way. I'm not. I'm not one. I'm not one of those preachers. Don't trust. Trust me. Keep a safe distance. Take a picture. Beautiful. We drove up through Grand Escalante Monument. Saw my first natural arch selfie in the arch. Picture. 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 Incredible. I was posting all this. Some of you were following. I was like a travel blogger. Pastor Ben, travel blogger by weekend. We got to Bryce Canyon, which is, looks like Dr. Seuss made the place. It's just wild. It's just, and we hike. You start off at the top, and you're at like 8,000 feet. It's really, really high. And hike down into this canyon among the hoodoos. It's beautiful. The hike back up, not so beautiful. But the hike down was beautiful. Unbelievable. And then we got to Zion. I mean, so whoever named Zion, Zion, knew what they were talking about. I'm marching to Zion. It was just... I remember one time we, we, had, we had hiked up to the Emerald Pools. We got all the way up there. We paused. It's like a little oasis, and we're, we're hiking back. And we came to this overlook that just looked over the vastness of the valley. And it was the first time I took a picture, and I, no matter what I did, I couldn't find a picture that, that captured it. It was incredible. Most of you have heard this if you followed me online. I didn't tell you part of it, though. We flew into Phoenix, and we drove a big route, and then we flew home from Las Vegas. I've never been to Las Vegas before. Huh. Honestly, we left Zion and drove into Vegas, and I can only describe the experience as whiplash. Like, what the heck did I just walk into? I mean, I was curious. I mean, there's this, like, what in the world? Wild. And genuinely never sleeps. There's crazy stuff. There's a reason they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, because nobody wants to know. <laughs> I 
I was trying to register why the experience was so jarring. And then it occurred to me, and I'm not being unkind against Vegas, everything was fake. Like, and here's what I mean by that. There was a fake New York City. Like, there's a casino that's like, it's like there's, I'm like, that sort of looks like the Empire State Building. Oh. And there's a fake Rome, a fake pyramid, a fake Paris, a fake Venice. Folks, they're running out of cities. There's going to be a fake Falmouth before they know what to do. I mean, I don't know exactly what they do. I mean, there's gondolas in Venice, and there's, you know, there's a Colosseum in Rome at Caesar's Palace. I mean, it's... And I noticed at the end of it that I hadn't taken many pictures. I'm like, I didn't get to Paris with Tammy and say, look, hey, let's take a selfie with the Eiffel Tower. We've been there now. Well, there's nothing wrong with, you know, there's nothing wrong with a pretend Venice or pretend... I'm just, I'm just saying that there was something unsatisfying about it. There was something that just couldn't measure, measure up to the majesty of what we had just come from, like the created majesty of what God had made and what we had stood in the midst of. And I, I would sometimes sit in the midst of it. I don't, have you ever seen beauty and you're not sure where beauty comes from? You're like, what is it? Why is this so, so breathtaking? You're seeing something that's bigger than you and that's not you and wasn't manufactured by you. And for a moment, you're seeing something that God is doing, and that's what I'm trying to say. So when you step back from the story and you look at what God is doing and you look at the life he wants to give you, it will change you. That's what will happen. That's the story. You see, when you see life and life to the full, when you see what God is doing and why he's doing it and why he wants you to do what he wants you to do, it will take you from being a person of white knuckle change to a true transformation. You ever tried white knuckle change? You know what I'm talking about? You ever just said, that's it. I'm going to do better. Turn it over a new leaf. Trying harder. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it this time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's white knuckle change. But something happens inside of us when we, and, and listen, no church, no pastor, no music. We don't manufacture this. All I can do is point you to the story. But if I can point you to the story and let you see it in the story and let you see what God is doing, and you step back and you see, oh, that, that right there. That's what I want. That's what I want. Here's something else. Britt said earlier, we're not going to try and convince you. And that's true. This is not an apologetic series. But I do think that if you'll look, and you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll see what God is doing, and what he wants to give you. You'll go from being afraid of him, cynical about him, wanting a relationship with him. I've heard it in story after story after story that when people came face to face with who 
Jesus was and why he did what he did just changed him. No church, no pastor, no sermon can do that. God can. So maybe that's a good way to finish. Maybe you've been listening to all of this and God's been at work. He's been taking you down this journey and you're just like, that's what I want. I'm, I'm ready. Now listen, if you're here and you're like, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, but I'll listen. I got six or seven more weeks for you folks. Hang on. But here's what I'm going to do every week. At the end of the week, I'm going to give you the same opportunity. I'm going to give you the same invitation. I'm going to say, listen, if you're ready, just say yes to him. Because John 3.16 is true. So whoever believes in him, that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to believe in him. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to trust in him. And if you're ready to do that, I want to give you a chance to. If you're not ready, keep coming. Keep coming. Just look at the story. Look what he says. See what he's doing. And if he speaks to you, you'll be ready. Would you bow with me? We bow our heads just because it feels like in a hurry-up world, we need a few moments where we can block out what's happening around us. The simple act of bowing ahead and closing our eyes, just maybe let you focus on what God is doing in your heart, what His, what His Spirit calling to you. And maybe you're ready. Maybe you're like, that's what I need. A God who has been pursuing me since the first pages of Scripture give me life and life to the full. Who sent His Son who endured the cross and overcame the grave to give me life. I'm ready to say yes to that. If that's you, then I invite you right where you're seated to pray something like this. Dear God, you know me. And you know everything about me. I put it all in front of you. God, I want your gift your life. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I trust in you. I invite you into my life. Give me life and life to the full. Help me to follow you. Trust in you live for you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from the Story Project series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our live stream services on YouTube at the same time. 
If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next episode.